Success stories and interviews with game changers and thought leaders who have overcome both in life and in business. Welcome to Vertical Momentum. Hey guys, it's me, the Comeback Coach. Guys, I just want to tell you about a person in my life that is truly, truly amazing. And she's actually changing the world one house, one home at a time. Her name is Tammy Moses of The Hoarding Solution. She's the founder and chief encouragement officer of Homes Are For a Living, The Hoarding Solution, which is a veteran-owned and operated business. Tammy provides virtual consultations and workshops on the issues of hoarding. She believes in inspiring others to take their adversity and use it for the greater good. She is the voice of AKOPTH, adult kids of parents that hoard. She is also a voice and advocate for our, of, for YLITH, Youths Living in the Horde. You can connect with Tammy at homesareforliving at gmail.com and on Facebook at Instagram at The Hoarding Solution. So guys, if you know anybody that's struggling with ho- any kind of hoarding issue, please reach out to Tammy she has a heart of service and she truly cares about people. All right, guys, remember vertical momentum. The only way to go is but up. To another episode of Vertical Momentum, I am your host, Richard Kaufman, also known as the Comeback Coach. Guys, as you know, when I have somebody come on, they're game changers and they're thought leaders. And this young lady is definitely changing the game. But first of all, I want to thank our sponsors. And I think, Sarah, um, something we can agree on, that a lot of homes that she goes into have a lot to do with hoarding issues. And my friend Tammy Moses has a podcast called The Hoarding Solution. And they talk about all those different issues that a lot of doctors, nurses, and police officers and first responders get go into. So definitely check out The Hoarding Solution. But guys, this is going to be a great episode. We're going to be talking about a lot of issues. And we're going to go pretty deep. We're going to be talking about um, some abuse issues. We're also going to be talking about home health issues. So, guys, if you have a parent like I do, an elderly parent, um, definitely listen to this. Maybe share this episode. Sarah, how are you doing today? Hey, I am doing wonderful, Richard. Thank you for inviting me onto the podcast today. Oh, it's it's great. And like I said, I've never... Um, never had anybody that um, gone through some of the stuff you went through. And, you know, I think some of the stuff you talk about needs to be heard. And one thing I have to say is thank you because uh, my mom's been a nurse now. She's going on her 53rd year and I know it's not easy and it's definitely a job. A lot of times it feel like it's a thankless job. So thank you for what you do. Thank you so much. And that's awesome to hear about your mom putting in 50 years. I'm at 15. So it's a, that's a, that's a nice goal to look for, look forward to. So now tell us, because I wanted to get to to know um, the person behind the stethoscope. So tell us a little bit about where you're from, where you grew up and what kind of little girl was Sarah? Sure. Um, So I grew up in Dayton, Ohio. My dad was in the Air Force, so he was stationed at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. 
um, in Ohio. So that's the bulk of where I spent kind of my formative, you know, elementary, junior high years. And um, gosh, what kind of little girl was I? Um, Definitely very curious, always curious about how things work, um, what made things tick. that, that definitely has a lot to do with my father. My dad was, um, you know, I, I, you can't see me, but I'm doing air quotes. He was a rocket scientist. And so I know he, uh, he, he cultivated that as well as my mother, just kind of that curiosity um, in me and wanting to understand how, how the world works around me. And so I would say that that uh, is a big foundation of who I am. And then, you know, I played soccer, I played sports, um, I was in Girl Scouts, so I have that, you know, the motto, always be prepared, so I have that always be prepared mindset, which has been successful and helped me in nursing, so definitely a lot of good things going on um, that that helped me build that foundation for who I am today. So now, who is the one, because a lot of a gentlemen I just interviewed a couple minutes ago, um, his mother was the one that had a heart of service. So who is it that in your, you know, usually it's a parent or a grandparent that instilled that heart of service and giving it and, and paying it forward? Who was that in your life? Um, you know, if I had to say like the main person, I would definitely say my dad, but I also just my whole family, I have, um, on both sides of my family, my mom and my dad, both of my grandfathers were teachers, um, on my dad's side. So I'm actually a third generation nurse. So my grandmother was a nurse and her mother was a nurse. So I think it's definitely just like a family, like our family motto. (laughs) Um, my, you know, my grandfather, both my grandfathers, my grandfather on my mom's side was in the Navy. My grandfather on my dad's side was in the army. Um, so a lot of strong, like military ties too. And that's very service oriented. So I would, I'd say if I had to pick something to put it on our family crest, that's, that's what it would be. It would be that service. So did, did it ever come to the point where you decided you had the military in one hand and nursing in the other? Did you ever have to make that decision? Did you ever think about joining the military? Uh, yes. In fact, <laughs> this is funny because I was actually just looking at nursing posting jobs last night and the Air Force is hiring and they said they're hiring. I'm almost 40. I turned 40 in January and they said between the ages of 18 and 47. So I had a little bit of that. Hmm, it might not be too late to <laughs> to join the service and put on that uniform, but um, yeah, that, that is definitely on my heart, um, to serve and, uh, and teaching. That was kind of the other, it was going to the military, be a nurse or be a teacher. And I, I chose the nursing, the nursing path. So talk to us, you know, cause a, a lot of, um, people think of nurses one way, but you know, me growing up, um, my mom, like I said, my mother has been a nurse for 53 years. You know, a lot of them don't realize the personal, uh, the personal side of it to where, you know, a lot of nurses, you know, they, they work every other weekend. They're working every, almost all the major holidays. So take us a little bit behind the scenes of what being a nurse is actually like. Yeah, you know, there's definitely you have a heart of service. And so you want to reach people, help people. 
Um, I think one of the things kind of a, you asked me about my childhood and, uh, and what has driven me, I actually, I used to like scare the birds away from the worms and I would like take little bandages and try to heal the worms. Um, and so, you know, I think for me, it just, it made a lot of sense to, to go that route because I have a lot of empathy and compassion for the world and wanting to nurture and heal but then also growing up with my dad and, you know, his science oriented mind um, medicine just also made sense because of that curiosity and wanting to understand the science of the body and how that works. And so, you know, there's that side of it, but there's also the side of sacrifice. And, you know, you mentioned working holidays and working weekends and, that was, that's been a tough thing, um, especially as I started having kids, you know, there were some career choices that I, that I couldn't make because one, I had kids and then two, you had mentioned that we'll kind of dive into this, but I was also in an abusive marriage. And so there were career choices that I didn't make because of, because of that situation. And those, those are tough. And I think, you know, the perception of nursing is very much like that stoic and we take care of everybody else. Um, so we must be doing a great job taking care of ourselves. And I think kind of starting off, you know, early on, especially new nurses, and this is how it was for me as well, is we didn't take, we don't take very good care of ourselves because we're so busy taking care of everybody else. Um, and that can start to really take a toll. And so, now in the nursing community, especially with COVID, um, there's much more of a push of, you know, take care of yourself, taking care of, you know, self-care um, mentally, physically. I kind of, I mean, a good analogy for it is, you know, when you're on an airplane and they tell you the air masks come down, put it on yourself before you put it on the person next to you if you're traveling with a child. And that hasn't always been the focus for a long time in nursing. Um, another big topic that's coming up is just kind of the violence that nurses face in the hospital system as well. Um, angry patients, physical violence, verbal violence. And a lot of people don't see that and don't know that that's going on. And for a long time, it was kind of that mindset of, well, it's just part of the job. And lately, the past few years, the Joint Commission is coming out with new recommendations for hospital hospitals as far as like workplace violence. And then there's a lot of like nursing organizations that are really standing up and saying, no, like nurses having to put up with that kind of violence and that kind of abuse is not part of the job description. Yeah. And a lot of so, people realize it, you know, um, and people, if I, you know, if you guys are listening to this, just think about every time you walk into a hospital, there are security guards there for a reason. <laughs> you know, um, And a lot of, like I said, a lot of nurses, my mom, my mother has been attacked many times um, and she had to get, have, have to get the patients pulled off of her by orderlies and by the um, security department. So, you know, you guys are definitely, that's why I wanted to have you on to, to get a little bit, bit behind the scenes. Now I don't want to get any, get you in any trouble. So that's not what I, I do, but during times of COVID right now, what's it like 
to be a nurse, going, not knowing what you're going into. And, you know, because I know a lot of nurses, you know, especially uh, I'm in New Jersey where we got hit really hard and a lot of nurses came down with COVID. So what is it like every day putting on that mask and going into work now? Yeah. So for me, it's a little bit different because I actually, I went into home care when COVID first hit. So I had been out of the hospital for about a year, year and a half, um, doing some other stuff, doing some marketing and event planning for um, a local Taekwondo center. And so when I actually made the decision to go back to nursing, I went into home care and, uh, Definitely every time I was there, you know, putting on that mask because I'm, I went into pediatric home care. So um, working with high risk kiddos that are on ventilators and have really serious neurological issues. And so I have a little bit of a different perspective of it because I have the perspective of kind of the, you know, this is why we wear a mask. This is why we were getting vaccinated to protect that vulnerable population. Um, but as far as like seeing what was going on in the hospitals, you know, my heart was breaking for, for those that were in the hospital, having to work in the hospital. So the last time we had a major outbreak, you know, a major epidemic like this pandemic was SARS and I was in the hospital at that time. And so just thinking back to everything that had happened with SARS, And then seeing what was happening now and that it was like tenfold of what I even experienced then. Um, Yeah, I just, I, you know, made sure I checked on colleagues that I knew were in the hospital, um, reposting and sharing things to give support for them and getting involved however I could to offer support to my colleagues that were dealing with a lot more um, than what I was doing, doing my home care role. Okay, so now I want to talk about because I want I'm very interested in um, what you do, um, and then we'll talk about abuse and other stuff in a little bit. But what is a pediatric home care nurse? Um, yeah, so I go into the home. Go into the home. I have one patient that I work with. I have you know, there's the opportunity to work with multiple patients, but I think because of COVID. Um, I really decided to only work with one patient at a time because I just didn't want to, you know, risk any kind of cross contamination for lack of a better word. So, um, so I only work with one client at a time, but a pediatric home care nurse. So the patients that I deal with range from anywhere of newborn up to 18 years of age. And even some um, of the kiddos, even after the age of 18, they still qualify for pediatric care. Um, just because of the nature of their um, diseases. But sometimes it's not even diseases. So I've had patients who have been in car accidents that are quadriplegics and on ventilators. I've had other kiddos that have neurological issues. Um, They tend to have uh, tube feedings. So we manage tube feedings and really just go in and manage all of the care for that child. giving medications, breathing treatments, everything that you would do in the hospital, really, um, but doing that in a home care setting. Oh, now, because my mo- that's what my mother did for the last, the last 10 years of her career. She helped children that were um, bedridden or needed constant care. And, but I don't know if you've gotten to this, but she's been in a lot of homes to where, 
she's gotten the child to a certain point where they can start doing things on their own. And then the parents were afraid that the child was going to going to not no longer be under their care, under their wing, as they say, and kind of blew my mother off after that. Have you ever seen that where, you know, kids are actually start to get better, but the parents sometimes they want the kids to get better, but they really don't want it them to get better you know what I'm trying to say yeah no I know I know what you're trying to say um because there's definitely it's kind of like losing losing the safety net right you lose the safety net um and and become responsible for for a lot of that stuff but I think also you know there's a level of caretaker burnout and so a lot of times what I see when I go into homes is just you know these parents deal with these chronically ill kids um and and it takes its toll and and that's the same even you know if the patient's elderly it really doesn't matter what age they are if you're a caretaker for that patient um you know you run into a lot of situations where you don't get to do that self-care for yourself um either and so when i go into a home and i do that i i like to focus on the education too for the parent and empowering parents as well to um, give them the confidence that they can they can handle it and they can they can care for their child. I've been fortunate enough to where I haven't really seen that a whole lot. A lot of the parents that I've worked with um, have been amazing, and um, they have a lot of knowledge um, as far as like the care of their kiddos goes. And a lot of them too, they become certified nursing assistants themselves, so that they can take care of their child um, on that level as well. Now, now we're going to go to the other end of the spectrum to where a lot of parents that have children, because we have an autistic child, thank God he's high functioning autism, but um, he's on the spectrum. But sometimes parents get so involved that it it's who they become. And they forget that there's, there's a life, you know, out, not like outside of that other, mm-hmm. you know, taking care of a child to, to let them know that, you know, it's okay to, you know, do stuff that's healthy for you. Have you ever seen that where somebody gets so involved that they forget themselves? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That happens quite frequently. And that's, that's what I'm kind of talking about with that caregiver burnout. And so in that case, as a nurse, um, what, what I do is really, it's, it's earning kind of that trust with that family um, is earning the trust to where they feel comfortable to be able to leave and go out and go grocery shopping or, you know, go get dinner and, and take that time for themselves. And so it's really building that trust and rapport with that family to, to help them get to a place where they feel like they have some breathing room to be able to, to take care of themselves. Now, has it always been pediatric? Have you ever dealt with the elderly? Yeah, so it hasn't always been pediatric. I actually, so I started my career in Cincinnati, Ohio on a uh, critical care cardiac step-down unit. So um, so the population that I worked with um, there was pretty much, you know, 30s to 40s and older. And I did cardiac care for 
12 to 13 years. Um, so I started in the hospitals. I worked in Cincinnati. I worked in St. Louis. And then I moved here to Colorado Springs. And kind of towards the end of that, I moved into the outpatient um, office and was doing stress testing and Coumadin clinic um, management, phone triage. And then um, after I left my abusive marriage in 2016 and was found myself as a single mom, having to kind of rearrange my life because I had pretty much 100% custody of my kids, uh, that's when I needed to kind of make some career changes and career choices. Okay, so now, because a lot of times, you know, now we're my family were going through a certain situation with a family member that has um, dementia and it's become a safety issue to where, you know, we want to, you know, get them where they could be safe all the time and not just be home by themselves. You know what I mean? So how Mm -hmm. do you differentiate? I know this is probably not your, this is definitely not, not your area of expertise, but you are an expert. So if there's somebody that's you know out there that's listening that has a parent that's struggling with say a dementia where they you know they they really forget to feed themselves take medications how do you how would you talk to you know let somebody know that it's okay to put them somewhere that they're going to be safe yeah i mean that's a that's a hard choice i think especially like when you know it's your parent and it's kids and and i had i have dealt with that quite a bit especially when i was in the hospital so i've had those conversations um you know several times with with family members on you know when when is the best time to decide that and you know the biggest the biggest thing is kind of painting the picture and giving people the reality of the situation and then empowering them with resources. So it's easy to say, well, you should do this, you should do this, you should do this. But if you're not empowering them and giving them the resources and the education, then all of your, you know, you shoulds are just going to kind of fall on deaf ears because it's, it's scary. It's like, okay, I should do this, but how do I do that? And so as a nurse, I found that, you know, you have the best success with patients and family when you teach them the how rather than going through all the should. So basically giving them the education and then allowing them to kind of come to the aha moment on their own rather than telling them what decision they need to make. Okay. I, now we're going to switch over to something else. Um, because this is one thing that um, I'm noticing more of because of COVID. You know, everybody, a lot of people are working from home. So them and their spouses are on each other 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And I know sometimes my wife wants to beat my ass, but <laughs> thank God she has a <laughs> of Job. Um, you know, because she listens to every podcast episode I put out. So she listens to everything. But going back to 2016, um, can you tell us about what was going on in your relationship? And and then we're going to talk about how you overcame it and how you're helping others that are struggling with domestic abuse issues. Yeah, so um, so I actually met my ex 
in 2001, I was 19 years old. Um, and so I was with him for a long time. And, you know, the, the stereotype of, of domestic abuse is that it, it was for a long time was really just only physical violence. And so if anything else was going on, it wasn't necessarily categorized as domestic abuse. And so it took me a long time. I mean, I was with him for almost 14 years. It took me a long time to realize what type of relationship I was really in and why I was declining physically, emotionally, mentally into kind of this shell of a person. And, you know, surprisingly enough, as a nurse, um, you know, I, I would have moments when I, when I finally realized what was going on, I would have moments of why didn't I, you know, I'm a nurse, like, why didn't I see this or understand this or know this? And it's because we really didn't get a lot of education as far as domestic abuse being, you know, a, a catalyst to medical issues. And we started asking the question, you know, in about 2009, you know, does anybody hit you? Do you feel safe at home? But it was still just physical violence screening. And I finally hit like rock bottom 2015 and was fortunate enough to, because my abuser never, it was never physical violence. And he very much wanted to keep the appearance of, well, I can't be abusing you because I'm not doing this. Um, uh, I was I was able to go to counseling. And so it was actually in counseling when I started in 2015 that as I was talking to the counselor about my situation at home, then that's when the aha light bulb came on that I was experiencing financial abuse. I was experiencing sexual abuse. I was experiencing mental abuse, verbal abuse. I was experiencing everything but physical abuse. And so my counselors were, were pretty, I guess, crafty in a way. And one of them did kind of tell me, you need to get out, you need to get out. Right. And it, and it goes back to what I had said about, you know, the placement for your elderly relative. It's like, you can tell somebody you should, you should, you should, but if you don't empower them and teach them the resources, you know, it's that old saying, give a man a fish, you feed him for a day, teach a man to fish and you feed him for a lifetime. So I ended up leaving that counselor because it was really overwhelming. You know, it was just this constant push of you should, you should, you should leave, you should do, you know, you need to leave. But it was scary because it was like, what do I do? Like I lose a big chunk of my income, my kids, you know, going there, where do I live? It was really, really scary. So um, I switched counselors and, and I found an amazing group. I did some EMDR therapy in 2015 and really found some amazing counselors that were like, you know what, this is a gift. The fact that you're able to go to counseling while you're still in this abusive relationship is a gift. And we're going to work on some things. And when you're ready and it's time to leave, you're going to do it and you're going to be successful at it. And, and I was. So 2016, um, well, it was December of 2015 and some, some things that happened with, um, a couple's counselor that we were seeing and some things kind of came to light. And that's when I knew that was kind of like the nail in the proverbial, proverbial coffin. Like, that's when I knew, like, I'm with somebody that will 
minimize the trauma that I've been going through in this relationship and won't acknowledge it and won't change. And, and that's kind of just when I knew, like, I got to leave and I got to get out. And so January of 2016, I, I gave him the divorce papers and hung around for a little bit until April. And that's when things did start turning physical and started turning more physically violent was when I was still in the house after I served the divorce papers. And um, thankfully, you know, with my job as a nurse and having a decent income, I was able to, to move out and, and be on my own and then uh, get, get temporary full custody of my kids at that time. Now, you know, a, a lot of people don't realize that because um, I came from a, a, an abused, rela- abusive relationship, not not from uh, wives, a wife, but from parents. But a lot of people don't realize that um, emotional abuse cuts deeper than physical abuse because the physical wounds will heal. But it's the words, it's the the um, the mental abuse that really takes hold of you, you know, even from a child all the way up into adulthood, you know what I mean? So when you were going through, um, you know, getting help, because I, I believe that, you know, everybody should have a counselor. Everybody should have a, somebody to talk to. So when you were going through all this, how did you start to come out of it? Yeah. I mean, I think that, Definitely what kind of what I alluded to when I growing up, you know, that being curious as to why and wanting to understand how things work, just having that as kind of like my baseline personality. Um, once I kind of started seeing all the dots connect, I, I really started to become curious as to why, why am I experiencing, why have I experienced this trauma? How did I let it get to, to where it got today? Um, and, and just kind of that, that curiosity. And so, and honestly, that curiosity really, really saved me um, in a lot of ways, because there would be a lot of days where I would get triggered by things. And um, having that curiosity, okay, well, why am I being triggered? What's going on? What's the deeper, the deeper down levels of this, you know, let's peel this back and find out why I'm being triggered because there's the surface trigger and the one that, you know, triggers you into anxiety and you start reliving the moment and you go through all of that. But then when you, when you take that mindset and flip it from the victim and the trigger and start to become curious and become an observer of what's going on inside of you, that helps one to change the mindset and it's almost like a grounding exercise in, in a way. And I mean, to expound a little bit on grounding, there's different things for grounding, breathing exercises, running your hand under cold water, um, those types of things. When you get triggered with that trauma, for me, it was, it was taking that curiosity. And so that really has propelled me forward into what I'm doing today and really wanting to understand the trauma and what was going on. And when I was still in that relationship, that 2015, I would listen to audiobooks. Um, so not only was I able to go to the counseling, but I listened to a lot of audiobooks. I listened to a lot of audiobooks on narcissists and abuse. And to, to kind of go, one of the books that I had listened to um, talked about that very thing. You know, physical abuse is the punch you can see coming. 
emotional and mental abuse is the punch you don't see coming. And that's why it cuts deeper and it's harder to, to realize it. And so that's where the really digging deep and the grittiness and the resilience. Um, one of the books that was amazing for me was Brene Brown and the power of vulnerability. And that really opened my eyes to, I have the tools to be resilient and it's time to use them. For so long, I let my ex, um, you know, suppress those tools and suppress that grit that I had uh, within that fire that I had in my heart and my soul. And so I made the conscious decision, like, you know, no more and, and tapped into that, that grit and that fire. Okay. So now a couple of questions, because I, I tried to be the devil's devil's advocate because I try to, you know, get all parts of the stories. Cause at one time, like I said, I, I was abused at once and I, I don't want to be that kind of person, but they say that hurt people, hurt people and mm -hmm. so now save a, a okay i want to hit a couple of i have so many questions i want to ask you but uh <laughs> i'm just having fun and, and i'm so grateful that you you decided to hang out with us today um but you know it seems like i've noticed a lot where a woman won't think twice about rearing back and smacking a man and that's abuse also, but you don't hear a lot about men being abused, but it, from what I'm hearing, cause I'm, you know, we have a lot of friends in common. I, unless if you, you know, and we're, uh, if you don't know, like, um, John McCaskill and, mm -hmm. Dr. Yeah. and, but, uh, you know, a lot, we're talking about being mindfulness. A lot of men don't admit that they're physically abused by their wives. Have you, that has that come up a lot in 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 your pet you know in, in people you've talked to yeah so no i am actually really thankful that you asked that question because there really are i feel like two avenues of people that kind of work in the abuse realm and there's the people that are really kind of a little bit fanatical and i'm going to get some blowback for saying that but um, you know, a little bit fanatical about like, it only happens to women. And then there's, um, you know, the opposite side and where there's a lot of men that are coming forward and speaking. And it's actually been my experience that there's a lot more men over in like England, um, that are really speaking up. There's not a whole lot of resources here in the U S although I know of some people that are, are starting to make some resources, but um, I absolutely am an advocate that men can experience domestic abuse as well. In fact, when I remarried, my husband now um, had some experiences and that was kind of a bond for us that we were able to kind of bond over. So um, yeah, I, I think being more realistic about it is, is healthy. And talked about homicide, Yes, the numbers for female homicide are way higher than, than, than male homicide. But the actual instances of abuse, and you can actually go to the National um, Domestic Violence website, and they have a, uh, a map of the United States with the statistics that are all broken down. And 
it's about 50-50. If you look at that map, there are some states where more men report domestic abuse um, than women, and then there are other states where it is right at about 50-50. I think where sometimes the fanatics come in is like, well, that's just men trying to, you know, scam the system and, and say they're the ones that are really being abused when it's really the other way around. And so, um, there's some great organizations, um, Safe and Together comes to mind, and they're putting out content um, that helps organizations differentiate between like a male victim that has really experienced domestic abuse um, versus a male abuser who is just trying to con the system. Um, and so I think it's important that we really kind of look at those numbers and and really make some adjustments in what we're doing and provide more services for, for male victims and survivors. Okay. So my next question is, you know, I, I believe that people can change because I'm an, I'm an ex, um, I'm a recovering addict. I've been clean 33 years and change turned my life around. So I believe that people can change, but say if somebody, a, a lady's in a relationship with her husband he hits her. He says it's never going to happen again and that he wants to get help. How does somebody go about getting help for the wife, but also getting help if that abuser wants to get help and wants to change? Yeah, so there's a lot of programs. In fact, pretty much um, as far as I know, every every state in the country um, does provide domestic abuse programs for the abuser, a lot of times it can be court ordered. Um, but that's not to say that that those services can't be sought out individually by a person. And so um, absolutely. And I, and I totally agree. Thank you, Richard, for sharing that. I mean, I will share that there were some really bad coping skills that I had as well that I used um, in my abusive relationship to cope with what was going on. And, um, and that's something that I had to deal with as well and, and face in order to be healthy, to leave that abusive relationship in the first place. So it's absolutely, I'm a firm believer and will agree with you that, that people can change. Um, you know, there's your very small percentage of people that have like personality disorders and those people probably aren't going to change. Um, they have a long road ahead of them if they are trying to change, but you know, a lot of abuse can happen because of drugs and alcohol and those sorts of things that change, what's going on in the, in the person's brain. Um, there's the family of origin abuse. You know, they say a lot of abusers experienced abuse themselves and don't realize what healthy relationships and that look like. So absolutely people can change. Um, really just a Google search would help you find those services. Um, a lot of like anger management, they call them like anger management, but there's also just, um, uh, domestic abuse classes. You could put that into Google and just say, find in my area. And you'll nine times out of 10, I guarantee you'll find something. And, you know, like I always love a comeback story. Like um, one of my favorite movies was the, the Tina, Tina Turner story. When eventually she got tired, sick and tired of being beat on and she kicked his ass. I thought that was great. So um, I'm always <laughs> 
for the comeback, the person that's come back. So if there's a female out there that's listening to this thing, this is going to go out everywhere. This is going to be listened to everywhere. And she's been abused. And he keeps saying, I'm not going to do it again. But he is going to do it again. What is something they can do to start to get help for themselves? And how do they get out of those situations? And I know it's hard because a lot of, you know, women, you know, they might have three or four kids and can't afford to leave the house and go into a shelter. So what do you do in situations like that? How do they get help without putting themselves in a homeless situation? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question because that's that's kind of one of the trickier things. And so honestly, I think the biggest thing that I had to do was be creative. I really had to be creative in my approach and getting help and where I got help. Um, so if you can't get a hold of an advocate or you do go to an advocate, so like in my case, I did go to advocates, but they said that I didn't qualify for any programs because I had an income as a nurse and so I didn't qualify for any help. And so I had to step outside of my victim box and take a step back and said, okay, well, as a nurse, what would I do if this, if I were my patient, how would I find resources? And um, it had to get some really creative in, in a lot of sense. And so um, a lot, a lot of times like a lawyer, a lawyer will give you a one-time, you know, free consultation. So you could call and talk to some lawyers to kind of figure out legally, you know, what, what's within your rights, um, within your, uh, jurisdiction, because everything's going to change from jurisdiction to jurisdiction, state to state, city to city. So it's really best to know what the laws are in your area. Um, there's domesticshelters.org. There's um, the National Domestic Violence Hotline. So you can call those guys. They um, can put you into touch with an advocate in your area. Uh, and then medical. I mean, if you um, if you can go and get an appointment with your primary care doctor and you're willing to be open and have that conversation with your primary care doctor. And I preface that with because I work in the medical field and I kind of know, you know, what's going on a little bit. A, a lot of medical professionals aren't necessarily equipped or ready to handle helping somebody that's in a domestic abuse relationship. And so knowing that going into that doctor and, and saying, you know, you may not be able to help me, but I think you'll be able to find the people who can help me and just opening up and being honest about that situation. And what they can help you with is, you know, abuse. And we talked about you know, mental abuse, carrying those wounds, abuse is going to affect your body physiologically. You could end up with um, GI issues, heart disease, diabetes, cancer. I mean, in my case, when I left in 2016, um, I found out in the middle of the year um, before my divorce was final that I had cancer and I had it thyroid cancer. I had it removed in December um, early on in December. And then three weeks later, I was assaulted by my ex-husband and in the parking lot and screaming at the top of my lungs when I just had this surgery done. So seeking out your medical um, professionals for help, they can help support you. 
you know, medically, but they are also going to be able to really find you resources that you may not otherwise know. And then another resource that I just came across kind of more recently that I think is amazing is a lot of times now insurance companies will have social workers and case managers and health coaches and nurses that, that work for your insurance company. So if you have medical insurance, um, you can always call your medical insurance provider and ask them, you know, do you have a case manager? Do you have a social worker? And then they are able to find resources for you that are going to be a network because money becomes an issue, right? So if you can find resources that are within your insurance network, that you'll get some of those costs covered so that you don't have these huge, huge bills that you're paying for. I love it. Now, I've, you know, I used to be heavily into the martial arts and um, they used to have a class at one of my dojos and it was for women that were, went through abusive relationships and how sometimes martial arts training will actually help a woman's self-confidence and start, you know, that helps them get back on their feet. But also, I you also know that you're you're a personal safety coach. So talk to us about that and about how that all came about. Yeah. So um, again, that's kind of another thing that goes back to childhood. Um, I was that kid. I would lie awake in bed, and anytime we went on vacation or somewhere, I would plan escape routes. <laughs> so I think that's kind of something that's always been with me as a child. And just kind of naturally developed as I got older. Um, You know, I was on a safety team when I was in the hospitals. And so medication safety falls and preventing that. So I've definitely been very safety oriented, I think, all of my life. And um, in 2016, when when I moved out and I was out on my own that April of 2016, I was at a health fair. Um, at the YMCA with my kids, because at that point, you try to find free stuff that you can do to keep your kids uh, entertained as a single mom. That's like a lifesaver. And uh, there was a Taekwondo table there and got to talking to them. And martial arts is something that I kind of always wanted to do too as a kid growing up, but I was so heavily involved in soccer that I just didn't add one more thing to my plate but uh, decided to to enroll them and enrolled all the kids. And and it was amazing. And so that martial arts education started. And then within that martial arts education, I started doing more kind of specialized self-defense um, with, uh, with a gentleman, a former Marine that would come to um, our dojong and, and teach a more kind of real life self-defense. Martial arts are great, but martial arts have rules uh, usually, and they're not always the best for like a street fight or a really violent encounter that you would get involved in. Taekwondo is heavily, you know, kicking. Um, and so needed some skills to handle other forms of violence. So really expanded and expanded my base. And then on this whole journey of empowerment and creating uh, the company that I'm creating, wanted to become uh, incorporate more of like a personal safety coaching. And so looking at it in a holistic way where it's mind, body, heart, and then, you know, physical safety and, and helping victims and survivors kind of 
understand that and learn that. So if you look at, you know, like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you have your very bottom is your food and your shelter. Well, your next step up to self-actualization is safety and security. And so for me, it just kind of made sense. One, it's preventative medicine and two, it's empowerment. I love it. So my last two questions I have, um, how do we find you? How do we get in touch with you? How can we support your mission and how you're trying to change lives? Yeah, so the easiest way to get a hold of me probably is going to be through LinkedIn. I'm um, pretty heavily active on LinkedIn. So that is definitely one of the best ways to get a hold of me. I do have a website as well, mapsprojectdefense.com. And that's kind of um, really under construction and getting all of the material and content uh, ready for release in October. And uh, supporting the mission, you know, I ask people to be curious and get educated. The more, the more people learn, the better they are at being able to help what's going on um, and help with the mission of ending violence. To me, you know, I'm not, it's not necessarily a fight against an individual person or even, you know, people as a collective, uh, you know, abusers as a collective. For me, it's really a fight against an ideology. You know, abuse is an ideology. It's a, it's a mindset that is passed on through generations. And if we're gonna, if we're gonna get rid of an ideology, we need to educate and put something better out into the world. So if you want to support that mission, just educate and, and help get involved and, and put, put kindness out into the world. Cool. I can't wait for October. So I'm definitely going to push it out, whatever you got going on. So my last question is, you know, we live in, in a crazy world. You know, we live in a COVID world still. Um, New Jersey's starting to lock back down again. Um, we have parents out there that lost jobs that are driving for Uber and DoorDash just to pay the bills and put food on the kid's table. So if I ask the average American to do something in seven days, they're never going to get to it because we live in such a crazy world. But if somebody's listening to this right now and we can tell them to do, give them some advice that they can take minimal step in the next 24 hours, they're more likely to do it. So if there's somebody out there right now listening to this, that's in an abusive situation, what can they do in the next 24 hours to start to get some help? Um, reach out to the domestic violence hotline. Um, you, yeah, assess your safety. Obviously you wanna make those phone calls and reach out to people in the situation that it's safe. And so if it's not safe, make a plan on how it can be safe. So is it having a conversation with your boss and saying, hey, I need a little bit of a longer lunch because I have to make this phone call. I'm in a situation. Um, or is it, you know, like I said, go to your doctor's office, make an appointment to see your doctor and, and go have that conversation with them. So first off is make a plan to be in a safe place. That's that's the first step. You don't have to make a plan to leave entirely. Just make a plan to get to a safe space. And then once you're in that safe space, make the phone call to somebody that can help you then make that plan 
and educate you. And there's a lot of, you know, join a Facebook page. There's a lot of pages on Facebook that you can join as well if that's a safe um, avenue for you to get education and get support as well. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, first, I want to want to say thank you to our sponsor. If if anybody's out there listening that is going through a hoarding solution, having a hoarding problem, definitely reach out to Tammy Moses at the Hoarding Solution because sometimes um, hoarding is not the issue; it's other issues that causes the hoarding. And um, so, if you're anybody out there struggling with that, please let us know. If you guys or anybody's listening to this that is going through issues of domestic abuse, please, please, please don't become a statistic. Please reach out and get help today. Thank you so much for coming on. This will be going out next season. But what I want to do is if you have your new website and everything, the day that it drops, I'll release this episode that day to get more traction to your website, if that's okay with you. Yeah, that'd be great, Richard. Thank you. Well, have an amazing weekend. Enjoy yourself. Enjoy the rest of your summer. Thank you. You too. All right. God bless. God bless. Hey, guys. If you're enjoying our show, if you love what we're doing, if you would like to support us, we have a whole bunch of great stuff coming out. We have a brand new t-shirt line that's coming out. Hats, coffee mugs, any kind of swag that lets your friends know that you support Vertical Momentum and you're always looking to get better. Also, we have our new coffee brand coming out. It's called Vertical Momentum Coffee. It's ass-kicking coffee. And, and it, will, it will get you moving in the morning. So, guys, if you're interested, go to www.richardkaufman.net. Check us out, leave us a note, tell us what you'd like, and we'll actually send it to you. The new website is being built. So if you guys want to, our book is out there on Amazon. It's called A Hero's Journey from Darkness to Light. Definitely check it out. It talks about my story, but it also talks about how to survive depression, how to survive addiction. All right, guys, I love you. Thank you so much for always supporting our mission, which is to save lives. Thank you for joining us today. Please hit subscribe and share. Please feel free to leave us a comment.